Welcome to the Album Nerds Podcast with your hosts, Andy, Don, and Dude. Dearly beloved, <laughs> we're gathered here today to get through this thing called the Album Nerds Podcast. <laughs> I'm Dude. I got Andy and Don with me. Andy, uh, you ready to wash yourself in some purple rain today? <laughs> I might say I'm ready to... Uh purify myself in the waters of Lake Minnetonka. <laughs> Beautiful. Don, how you doing? Purple rain would be a good sh- shampoo. It would, yeah, sure. I, for those who need shampoo, which I do not. <laughs> Some of us need more shampoo than others. <laughs> All right, so this is the Album Nerds podcast. We love albums in the album format, and uh, we like talking about them and spreading that gospel of the power of music. So we've got a really great show for you today, uh, focusing on only one album. We're discussing Prince's Purple Rain from 1984. Then we're going to check in with Rob from the 1001 Album Complaints podcast for his thoughts on Purple Rain. We're going to answer a question that's loosely related to today's topic. And then, of course, we'll be spinning the wheel of musical destiny to find out what kind of albums we'll talk about next time. But this week... It's all about that purple rain. That's what I'm talking about! Well, every so often we like to go back to things that were discussed on the show before and and spend a a little more time on it. Deep in the archives of the album nerds. Too deep for anyone to travel. (laughs) Do not go. I think it was episode 27. You guys uh, spent an episode talking about Prince albums. Uh, You covered Sign of the Times, 1999, Artificial Age, uh, and of course, uh, Purple Rain. I've actually gone to the Prince well quite a bit. It's a deep well, dude. Uh, In episode 92, you guys discussed originals. And then in episode 126, you talked about uh, Sign of the Times again. Uh, And then back, I I believe it was my first official episode, episode 143, we discussed uh, three Prince albums, the the gold experience, Around the World in a Day, and uh, again, Art Official Age. (laughs) But today, uh, we're finally going to really delve into, I think, what many people see as his masterpiece, but I, I suppose it's debatable, Prince's Purple Rain. And Prince came, and that's when Purple Rain came out, and, and Prince was the Prince had on like a, it was like a Zorro-type outfit. It had the ruffles that come down the front. I learned something that day. Don't, never judge a book by its cover. This cat could ball, man. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, let's, uh, let's get into the album. This is the title track uh, and closing cut of the album, Purple Rain. You can't seem to make up your mind. Well, uh, Prince reportedly said, when there's blood in the sky, red and blue equals purple, purple rain pertains to the end of the world and being with the one you love and letting your faith or God guide you through the purple rain. Uh, so that song was um, originally written as a as a country song, and it was meant to be a, a potential collaboration with Stevie Nicks. Uh, supposedly, mm-hmm. Prince had sent the uh, ten minute instrumental track to, to Stevie Nicks for for her to write lyrics, and I guess she was just overwhelmed and said it was too much for her. So Prince took it back to the Revolution. You know, they uh, 
you know, created the, the song that, that you hear now. Um, that's one of, uh, three tracks that was recorded at the, the first Avenue Club in Minneapolis. Um, so it was, it was live. Um, of course it was significantly overdubbed later in the studio. Uh, anyway, so Purple Rain is the sixth studio album by American singer, songwriter, and multi-instrumentalist. Also a producer, uh, Prince, born Prince Rogers Nelson in 1958 in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Uh, so it is, uh, actually the soundtrack album to the film Purple Rain, uh, in which he, he also starred, uh, which came out the, the same year. Um, sold over 25 million copies worldwide. Uh, it was his first, uh, billboard number one. Um, and it's uh, billed as Prince in the Revolution. Um, the, the key members of the revolution at the time were uh, Wendy uh, Melvoyne on guitar and vocals. Um, is it Mark Brown or Brown Mark? I've, <laughs> I wrote it backwards, <laughs> I think. I should double check that. Is it possible? I think if someone were named Brown Mark, <laughs> they would not use it as a performing name. <laughs> <laughs> I don't believe. Okay. Well, I'm going to go with, we'll go with Mark Brown then on bass guitar. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, guys, I, I just looked it up. Uh, his birth name is Mark Brown, uh, but he actually went by the, the stage name Brown Mark. And sometimes it would just be one word, Brown Mark. Okay. All right. I stand corrected. Sorry, Brown Mark. Uh, <laughs> good on you. Also have Lisa Coleman on, on keyboards, piano, and vocals. Matt Doctor Fink on keyboards, and Bobby Z on drums. Okay, well let's uh, let's hear another cut on the album. This is the Beautiful Ones. Yeah, that track always stands out to me as kind of being like the first really impressive moment on the album for me, at least. It uh, starts out being such a, a beautiful little ballad and then transitions into this very emotional, heartfelt plea for this person to uh, to pick them over the, the other guy. Just really awesome vocal performance and the guitar comes in and just, it just kicks ass. But yeah, I, the three words I use to describe this record are purplest shade of purple... I think this really, I mean, arguably is, you know, his best selling record, arguably his best album. I think it really defines who he was at this time, you know, and as much as it is about this character in the, in the film, the story, but I think it's, you know, very reflective of Prince himself and he really puts himself out there on these songs. It's a very open personal record, I think. It's interesting because it's, I don't think it really falls into a lot of the, the genre tropes. I mean, it's a pop record, but I think it's, there's so many unconventional things that happen as you're listening to it. The way the songs are put together, the different effects, and obviously Prince just has such a unique personality. It doesn't sound like a lot of the pop records at the time or even, even today. That's true. It kind of reminds me of the Beatles in that I think just there's just something about Beatles records that just kind of they just sound a little bit different than than everything else, right? So even though they're doing sort of typical things in the pop realm, you know, it just just has a different sound. And uh, yeah, Prince is definitely the the same way. Well, by this point, by album six, I believe he felt empowered. You know, he had had success with 1999, and I believe that he just felt like this was his 
canvas to paint. Nothing was holding him back, you know. And and as far as the movie goes, I I read that he was refusing to re-sign with his management if they didn't make the movie happen. He wanted that to happen. They had a hard time getting someone to want to distribute it and all that stuff at first, you know, to to sign on for the project. But um, yeah, I, I, he I think he really he knew that this was his you know a, a magnum opus of his career. I think he knew it. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's, that's the perfect word for it. The unbridled passion of this particular performance for this song, letting it go vocally where he is just screeching, it's real enough that it's not like an annoying loud sound. You know what I'm saying? Like it actually <laughs> is full of emotion. Yeah, it sounds like he gets overcome by the end of the song and, and, and the movie performance. He's like, weighing on the ground but <laughs> he looks exhausted yeah. and i feel kind of emotionally exhausted when i get to the end of the song because it's like you've been through something with the guy what do you guys think about the movie in general do you enjoy it do you ever you guys have both seen it i assume i didn't see it until i was in college and i was a little underwhelmed because it's not the best acting in the world but in yeah. subsequent years understanding his story understanding who he is and really getting into it you know getting deeper into his music i watched it again and and i i enjoy it now because it's just cool to see the performances in particular um are amazing but it's just cool to see him at his height like that you know yeah i think i had seen bits and pieces of it over the years either like on hbo or vh1 or something like that and i think you know finally maybe 10 or 15 years ago i think i sat down and actually watched it and it was it was okay, but you know, it, it, I wasn't blown away by it or anything. The album, I think, just kind of stands alone. You know, I, I almost feel like the film doesn't need to exist. It gives a little bit of context for some of the songs, the, the content of the songs. Um, mm -hmm. I think it makes more sense if you're thinking about the story of the movie. But I agree. I mean, I think that the, probably the quality of the album is a little higher than the quality of, yeah. the, of the movie. Well, the, there's also the aspect of the movie soundtrack. Like the album is kind of the movie soundtrack, but the movie has has the time in it more stay in the time and uh mm -hmm. apollonia and their songs by them in the movie and so then they have their own albums so it kind of that completes the soundtrack is if, if you like got ice cream castles by the time for instance but the, the movie was like thriller right it was the music video for the album mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah and that's I think it's very necessary to making, at least to what it became commercially and to how people felt about Prince as a passionate performer. You got to see this guy ripping it up on stage and it wasn't some boring concert video. It was a movie. So, you know, I think people got to understand him better and the uh, Minneapolis music scene, which no one was paying attention to. All right. Why don't we play another cut from the record? This is a little bit of Take Me With You. That is a, a duet with uh, Apollonia Cotero. Uh, it was originally supposed to be performed by Vanity, um, and I believe she was supposed to be sort of the female lead in the film, but she she moved on. Uh, the song was uh, supposed to be uh, released by uh, Apollonia's group, at Apollonia Six, but it ended up being a, a late uh, addition to the to the film soundtrack. Um, when they added uh, Take Me With You to it, they ended up shrinking Computer Blue, you know, I think, which initially was supposed to be like seven or eight minutes long, and now it's only uh, mm. about three minutes. I just like that song a lot, uh, particularly as the second track. It's a it's a nice contrast after the, the Let's Go Crazy. Just I, I'm just a sucker for that 
those strings and the synth line, the dun 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 Yep, you and your synths. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, you know, it, it to me, it sounds like a song that could have easily been on Around the World in a Day. It's yes. got that more psychedelic sort of sound that I think mm-hmm. he focused more on on the follow-up to this. Yeah, that's true. Uh, and the strings were arranged by uh, Revolution member Lisa Coleman. Uh, the three words I, I chose to describe the album are end times pop or pop for the end times, I, I guess. So um, kind of going with this this theme of, you know, Purple Rain being like the, the end of the world. Um, you know, I feel like this is maybe um, – well, some of the subject matter, I think, is kind of about how to live, um, you know, until you, you know, sort of get to the to the end. Um, but also, it, it just seems like sort of like the ultimate pop album, right? Like, so this is the last thing humanity produces um, <laughs> is this, you know, so it's like the, the celebration at the end of the world of, uh, of great pop music. But yeah, I mean, just uh, uh, just a cool, you know, m- musical journey. When Doves Cry is, you know, just such a yeah. you know, fantastic pop song you know like a an all-time favorite yeah it's such a weird sounding song to me I, yeah. I i always never could place like why that track always stands out as being so different and i was reading about it, it was like there's no bass guitar in that yeah nope. song at all nope. <laughs> just kind of has like this emptiness on the low end and just well, that's kind of unsettling that drum machine sound that's a driver and it does sound like empty and alone arrows is these people in a relationship you know doves are the sign of peace but they they butt heads and and have drama between them and trying to find a way that you make that love work but it's hard to it's hard to find and in that emptiness of that that baseless drive i think really does yeah it feels purple Yeah, one other thing I wanted to comment on was, you know, going back to, to having the, the three live tracks on the album. That's usually something that kind of bothers me. Like, I don't like a live song thrown into the middle of an album because it really, I think, can throw off the flow. But, you know, they did a good job of actually kind of making it, making you not even notice that those are live tracks. Although it's sort of like there's that space in the sound or something that makes it feel live, but it's not, it doesn't throw me off at all. To me, it's more like the way that rock and roll records and all records were recorded previously, which is live performances, mm-hmm. not with a crowd cheering and stuff, but, you know, like the doors, all of their stuff, they would perform, you know, the band in one room and Jim Morrison in the other room singing. It was happening in real time. And I, I've always preferred that and enjoyed that when, when I, because you can kind of feel it you can feel mm-hmm. it especially in the mistakes now of course you can go fix some stuff here and there but uh i like that organic feel um what are the other two songs that were recorded live it's that last suite of songs basically so the i would die for you baby i'm a star and purple rain all right well let's uh let's go back to the beginning of the record here's let's go crazy So, yes, this is the album opener. I mean, Prince invites the audience to go crazy. And I, I, this has been interpreted a lot of ways, you know, going against societal norms, being yourself, go celebrate life. Digging into this, which has been one of the best times of my life, having an excuse to just listen to this album over and over and over again. There was an interview that Prince did with Chris Rock in 1997, and he said that this song served as a metaphor for the battle between God and the devil, good and evil. And he kind of had to obscure it because he didn't, you know, he, there was a lot of 
as we talked about, a lot of uh, uh, religious undertones and faith, you know, beneath yeah. the surface on some of this stuff. He said that as he wrote it, that it was about God and the de-elevation of sin and that uh, the de-elevator was the devil. And I think to him, I think God was that creative side of, of him. I think the, the stuff he was able to do was his way of touching God, you know, and uh, I think that's what he was celebrating here. Let's let's rip this thing open. Let's do this on this record. Let's let it all hang out. Let's beat the de-elevator and, and make the perfect record. Wow. I just blew my own mind, guys. You got to give me a minute. <laughs> <laughs> I just love that Prince comes up with these little little terms to disguise these concepts. Such a Prince thing to do. So you're kind of saying that like Prince is creating his own God, essentially, on this record. Well, that I'm saying that his talent, his creativity, I think to him was in some ways the creator flowing through him. Mm. Gotcha. That was his way of touching his faith. Reach out, touch faith. Excellent. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, obviously I enjoy this record. Uh, <laughs> the three words I'm going to use to describe it mystical sensual and revolutionary oh i get it yeah revolution yeah so mystical kind of touches on what we were just talking about the spiritual aspects behind it the emotions uh there's something ethereal about the melodies and there's this other worldly atmosphere that uh, is created sensual pretty obvious he's a very sexual being it comes through in the songs some of which more than others and uh, then revolutionary, it shattered boundaries, blending rock, pop, funk, R&B. And, and, and the album isn't totally perfect. There are some weird moments, but I think it's experimenting, too. There's a lot of experimentation here. And that's a, a bold move, right? And that's what he continued to do throughout his career. And he had some huge successes and then some less successful projects. But he never stopped trying to revolutionize who he is as an artist. And this album, I think, is a great example of when he gets it right. You know, I think he was always reaching for that Sistine Chapel moment where his fingers touching God's, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, always. <laughs> yeah, right. And that was beneath it all. And 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 I think people had a hard time seeing that because of the, his sexual nature, his energy, and people had a hard time yeah. um, accepting that you could be both. Let's talk about that sexual energy for just a moment. Listening back to this, for the show here, I was struck by Darling Nikki in particular and how uh, explicit that track is. <laughs> it it really is, for, especially for the time. But yeah, it's whew, spicy. Does he make it? Does it make more sense in the context of the film or something? Because I, I think he's using the song to sort of humiliate the the girl or something. Yeah, uh, at some point she's trying. Uh, the The lead singer from the time is courting her, trying, telling her he's going to help her with her music career, but he's really trying to get to the kid. Uh, so then in a, in a performance, the kid, the character, uh, is kind of a douche and is singing about all of his naughty exploits with darling Nikki to uh, break the girl's heart. And she runs off. Uh, dick move. The kid. Prince, you're cool. <laughs> I don't know about that kid character, though. <laughs> um, yeah, I read supposedly that that Darling Nikki was the song that pushed Tipper Gore over yeah. the edge to... Uh, the tipping point for The tipper. tipping point for Tipper, yes. <laughs> <laughs> to go forward with that 
The little sticker there, the parental advisory sticker. The PMRC, the, that's how it all started. Yeah, they had tr- like hearings and everything. But yeah, she got the record for her kids because it was the new pop sensation and, and then heard that song. But uh, I mean, if there had been a sticker on that, may, maybe she would have listened to it first by herself before playing it for her children. But yeah, little kids probably shouldn't hear masturbating with a magazine. Um, but... <laughs> I feel like there's a song on every Prince album that makes me just a little uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's true. Well, so, so yesterday I was, I was listening to the record and I was in and out of Zoom meetings and stuff. And I usually have music playing in the background, but I'm in a meeting and then that song starts and I'm like, skip, skip, because <laughs> I, I didn't want anything from that. Sometimes people say, what are you listening to? So <laughs> I, I still feel that too, Don, where I, I was a little like, <laughs> so. Well, it's good, you know, because he doesn't. I mean, usually in rock and roll, it's it's innuendo, right? And so there's little metaphors and euphemisms and stuff like that that are um, sort of hiding the you know the meaning or something. But you know, Prince just just says it. Yeah, he's pretty open, <laughs> pretty open guy. <laughs> I mean, what a record, guys! Yeah. I continue to be impressed with it. It's one of the few albums where it just keeps getting better for me. That's like impossible, right? I mean, by the time I'm 80, I'm I'll, I'll be like I'll listening to this and then sitting on the like floating above the floor because I've reached some kind of spiritual enlightenment because I've really got I've finally gotten it all the way. <laughs> Dude has become purple rain. <laughs> yeah, I'll start glowing purple and floating above the floor. That's gonna be awesome. No, I think it it does warrant those closer listens, and there is a lot going on, especially sonically. I think it's such a, a rich and textured uh, record with some really inventive ideas and just outside-the-box thinking from a production standpoint. That And to know that Prince was so involved with that aspect of it, too, it just gives it a whole nother level that you wouldn't get for most records of this time period. So, Well, it sounds like this is uh, Einhoff material. You think? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it might be heading that way. All right, it's in. Right, we don't need to do a ceremonial vote. <laughs> <laughs> Just uh, for the record? Of course. Well, I vote yes. I guess I also will vote yes. I vote. <laughs> <laughs> Which is yes. <laughs> well, congratulations to Prince and the Revolution. Well deserved. Is this our first Prince album in the Hall of Fame? Though? I think so. We're going to yes. be doing some other revisits, I imagine. Rectify that situation. Yeah. I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me. If you're enjoying the show, and we hope you are, do us a solid and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. Maybe we made you laugh or you discovered an album you enjoy. Leaving a review keeps the show going and helps other music fans find us. All right, gentlemen. Well, we have a special guest review uh, from uh, another podcast uh, called 1001 Album Complaints. Great show. Yeah. So they, if you haven't heard it before, they're actually responding to this list that's out there. It's like 1001 Albums You Must Hear. And so each episode, they they choose another album on that list and they they give honest reviews and kind of decide, you know, whether they truly are albums that you you must hear. Uh, So anyway, so here's what Rob from 1001 album complaints thinks about purple rain hey guys this is rob from 1001 album complaints delivering my purple rain review 
So let me start by saying for a pro songwriter, Prince, these songs just aren't that good. Listen, I understand. <laughs> Prince is an insanely prolific writer that's worthy of great respect, certainly. It also means his sheer quantity gets in the way of his average quality. There are a lot of high highs on this record. There are some really low lows. <laughs> Prince has killer vocal range and is a multi-instrumentalist of epic proportions. And quick diversion while we're on that topic, Prince is a terrible actor. And the movie Purple Rain is laughably bad, save for getting to see Prince live, which is indeed cool. But okay, here's a couple specifics. Let's Go Crazy is a high point. We're talking full rock and roll excess on display from start to finish. When Dove's Cry still sounds like nothing else ever put to tape. Purple Rain is a classic, but it's longer than Hey Jude. And yeah, I know it's a live take, but still, it goes on a bit. Low points are stuff like the half-baked jams of Darling Nikki and the beautiful ones where Prince runs out of production tricks and ideas and just starts screaming over the track to try to sell it. In conclusion, Purple Rain is rightfully thought of as a classic album, innovative and fun, but not without its dated 80s fashion excesses, the kind you find in a secondhand <laughs> store. He's on fire! Ooh, that, uh... Wow. That was spicy. So here we are, showering love, kissing Prince's butt for the last 20 minutes, and then Rob comes in and kind of dunks on us, right? (laughs) Uh, It is refreshing, though, to hear a different perspective. I mean, I think I grew up with that album being held and regarded so highly that I don't know any other way to look at it. What did you guys think of hearing someone point out some of the blemishes that I hate to admit there's some truth to? Uh, I mean, I wouldn't trim a second from the title cut, personally. I think that's great, uh, whether it's eight minutes or not. Yeah, I don't. I mean, the 80s are a time of excess. I mean, he's not wrong about that. I'm not going quite as far as he going, though. I think it's yeah. pretty, still a pretty great record. Well, he thinks it, yeah, he admitted it's a great record, but he had the, you know, those guys have the guts sometimes, I think, to even those things that are held so highly to point out some blemishes. I don't see any of them. Yeah, I think maybe my problem is I, I start to find the blemishes charming or something, or you know, because I think an album is great, <laughs> the, you know, the, the flaws maybe become something I actually like about it. I don't know. Yeah. But maybe maybe we do need to be a bit harsher moving forward. Yeah, so thanks, Rob. Thanks, 1001 Album Complaints. Great podcast. You guys should go check it out. These guys are unafraid, and it's fun to listen to. So thanks again. Excuse me. I'd like to ask you a few questions. It's time to ask ourselves a question. So the Purple Rain film is famous for Prince's great stage performances. Uh, What other concert films would you recommend? Well, I think there's a bunch of good ones. I'll throw out a few that came to mind initially for me. Talking Heads, Stop Making Sense. If you haven't seen that, it's more of a live concert performance with some minor production flourishes. Pretty awesome. Uh, Ziggy Stardust and Spires from Mars, similar concept. Also pretty awesome. What I just watched recently, more of a documentary type film about the Rolling Stones called uh, Gimme Shelter. I think it's on HBO Mm -hmm. right now. It's about a specific concert in their career and some events that's surrounding it, but it was also pretty interesting and some really good live performances from the group. Yeah, the uh, that that festival Altamont is considered basically what ruined the summer of love, you know, after Woodstock. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, um, the first thing that came to mind was Kiss Meets the Phantom of the Park from 1978, which was on ABC Television. <laughs> oh wow! And produced produced by Hanna Barbera Productions. 
and Kiss. Uh, Hanna Barbera was this animated? Uh, parts of it were because they had cartoon lightning bolts and stuff coming out of them. Uh, so there's some performances at this amusement park, but then an evil uh, guy that makes the animatronics hates that Kiss is getting all the attention. And he makes robot kiss that fight the real kiss. And <laughs> anyway, there's a few there's a there's a few performances of Bath and and shout it out loud and stuff. And and I saw that when it was on. I was a little kid. That was the first thing that first time I probably saw live concert footage really that impacted me. So that came to mind. Um, but it's not really on the level of Purple Rain in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> Stuff that I, I would throw in that category, uh, the song remains the same, Led Zeppelin. Oh, yeah. Uh, the band, The Last Waltz, that's really mm. a documentary, but also concert performance stuff. It's pretty awesome. And then, you know, things like Bohemian Rhapsody, right? I mean, it's one of the few of those kind of like biopics that have done it to that level that make people moved by the performance, even though it's not the real performance, yeah. which mm-hmm. drove people to go watch the Live Aid Queen performances <laughs> on YouTube and stuff. So it, it's kind of anti, but it kind of fits. Yeah, it actually reminds me of the um, the, the recent Elvis movie by um, Baz Luhrmann. At the end of the movie, they actually have real footage of Elvis um, seemingly, you know, not long before he actually passes away. And he does a, a version of Unchained Melody that's really, like, just fantastic. Um, mm-hmm. And it's kind of uh, emotional because he's, you know, you see just this fat guy, you know, that, that's just like a, a shell of himself physically, but you're still hearing inside, like, the, the magic um, mm-hmm. underneath. Cool. And so that was actually my favorite part of the movie was the, you know, the live Elvis footage. But yeah, um, probably my, my favorite kind of uh, concert doc film uh, is Depeche Mode 101. Surprise, oh, surprise. Wow. <laughs> uh, it, was, it was done by uh, D.A. Pennebaker, who actually did Dylan's Don't Look Back and, and the Monterey Pop uh, films. Um, but it's actually interesting because there's like two things going on. So it's Depeche Mode on their Music for the Masses tour, touring the United States, which culminates in them doing this giant show at the Rose Bowl um, in Los Angeles. And this is, you know, they're an alternative band that, you know, nobody would expect to, to fill a place like that. Um, but at the same time, it's a contest where all these Depeche Mode fans get to ride a bus from New York City to L.A. Um, and see Depeche Mode a bunch uh, a bunch of times. But they document what these fans are doing along the way. Uh, and so some people say it, you know, might have helped pave the way for things like the real world and road rules and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Well, thank thank you, Depeche Mode. Yep, Depeche <laughs> Mode and Da Pennebaker. What a legacy to leave behind. Yeah, <laughs> I want to throw one more in. I got to say this because of today's theme. Go watch Sign of the Times, Prince. It's a it's a concert footage of all the songs from the album Sign of the Times. Oh, I haven't seen that. that. It's, 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 it's awesome. All right, what's your favorite concert film? Let us know. Hit us up on the socials, Facebook, Instagram, threads. Also, Discord, albumnerds.com slash Discord. I'm your density. All right, boys and girls, gather around. It's time once again to see what fate has in store for us on next week's episode. Make love, not war. Next week, you will be exploring albums that feature songs of protest. Protest comes in many forms and for many reasons. Some artists have made it their mission to speak out for those without a voice. So, go out and fight the power. Mm, protest music, okay. So when when uh, artists 
have an opportunity to call to arms or to you know shine lights on injustices and wrongs in in society. Mm -hmm. Protest sounds fun. All right. Well, what's your favorite Prince record? What's your favorite protest album? What else are you listening to? Let us know. Join fellow album nerds on Discord at albumnerds.com/slash/discord. You can email us at podcast at albumnerds.com and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Threads at Album Nerds. Please subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast app. And if you'd like to support the show, you can do so via PayPal at albumnerds.com/support. Thank you so much for joining us on this very special purple edition of the Album Nerds Podcast. We'll catch you next time with some protest music. Thanks for listening, everybody. Catch you next week. Yeah, I didn't even Are you going to dare sing Prince songs? I don't know. Probably not. <laughs> After that, actually. <laughs> How can you just leave me standing alone in this world? <laughs> Sorry, Prince. Started that pretty low, though. He does it a little better. Dig, if you will, a picture. <laughs> no. I feel like Stop. Shatner should do that. This is like the Dig, the if you will. <laughs> See, right now you're being the de-elevator, my friend. Stop it. 